Welcome to episode two of the CineSnob podcast. I'm Jared Kingery. I'm Cody Viafania. And I'm Kiko Martinez. And I guess I need to start out this week with a very sincere apology. If you heard our episode last week, I mispronounced the name of everyone's favorite Star Wars bounty hunter, Boba Fett. I called him Boba Fett. How many letters did you get because of that? A lot. A lot of emails. A lot of hate mail. A lot of, uh, a lot of nasty de- comments. A lot of death threats. Yeah, and it's. It, I'm ashamed. Mm-hmm. And as well, you should be, Jared. I had a long consult with my family, <laughs> and um, um, several ministers, <laughs> as to whether or not it was uh, correct to pronounce his name as Baba Fett instead of Boba Fett. Anyway, yeah. Sorry, I mispronounced Boba Fett. Well, I know you, uh, people that are Maya, listening to this can't see Jared's face right now, but we can, and it, it, it's full of pain and anguish. It's very ashen. I would you, say if, I would say crestfallen. <laughs> that's a good word too. If you want to revisit that, uh, be sure to go back and look up our first episode on iTunes. Yes, and uh, also we could use ratings and reviews, but please do not factor in the fact that Jared mispronounced the name when you're leaving a review. I want you to know right now that that I'm apologizing for my mispronunciation in episode one. Right now in episode two, so don't don't listen to episode one first and then say. What the hell, man? Yeah, these guys don't know what they're talking you about. You pronounce Boba Fett correctly. That's one star. <laughs> just, just know that, know that, know that I am deeply ashamed of what happened. Anyway, let's move on to movie news. It's time for the real rundown, recapping this week in movie news. All right, first up again this week is the saga of Marvel's Ant Man. Last week it broke that Edgar Wright. Uh, walked away from the project. This week we've got, we had three directors in the pipe. Uh, now we're down to two. Cody, fill us in on the details. Well, uh, it came out earlier this week uh, that um, there were three, like you said, three directors who were possibly going to be mentioned for the movie. There was uh, Ross and Marshall Thurber, who directed uh, We're the Millers. Uh, I liked I liked uh, his The Secret Life of Walter Mitty, right? Oh, I don't know. I'm kidding. That's a you got to know. <laughs> James Thurber wrote the short story. Oh. I'm sorry, I totally Jesus. Scared. A literary reference. And <laughs> James a... Thurber is one of my favorite authors back when I was in high school, and he wrote he... the Secret Life of Walter Mitty. There is no room for that in this podcast. <laughs> uh, the second name was Ruben Fleischer, who directed Zombieland in thirty uh, thirty minutes or less, and uh, most recently uh, Gangster Squad oh, was Gangster the most Squad recent one he terrible. did. Yeah, that was pretty bad. But isn't Ru- Ru- oh. Fleischer connected to everything nowadays. I mean, he's a new hot director. Right? Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I think everybody wants that Zombieland. Thinks he's got another Zombieland in him, and I don't really know that he does. Yeah, well, it wasn't Gangster Squad for sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the third list or the third name on the list was actually the most interesting name, which was Adam McKay, who is uh, you know best known for working with Will Ferrell. Directed in, both Anchorman movies. Yeah. Anchorman, uh, Step Brothers, Step Brothers, Talladega Nights, the other guys. Yeah. So that was the first piece of news. The second piece of news was that Adam McKay was actually offered the directing job for Ant-Man. It was all over social media and movie webs- or movie news websites that Adam McKay was in negotiations. And that, then uh, something that caused you uh, consternation, right? Yeah, I I, I was not a fan <laughs> not of constipation. <laughs> both of them. Maybe both that, of maybe them. That. Uh, I was not a fan of that idea. I I don't think there's any place for that for McKay style because McKay is uh, McKay is kind of like a long-winded director his movies are bloated uh he's a he's you know very heavily reliant well he's only on ever improvised. worked he's only ever worked with Will Ferrell right 
and that may be the reason. I I was interested in this because Paul Rudd has been cast as Ant Man, mm-hmm. and I love McKay's work with Rudd. I mean, the Anchorman movies, whatever you think of them, they're ultimately pretty funny, and they're ultimately bring out the best. I think in Paul Rudd, but they do it on a on a improvised level. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if we're if we're thinking about a Marvel movie, and if they weren't going to let Edgar Wright run with it, then they sure as hell weren't going to let Adam McKay, you know, run you know two hours of improv on scenes. So I don't I don't I don't see how that was a good fit. But but either way, Adam McKay is out now. Adam McKay is out. Uh, he had a meeting with Marvel. And he said that he, uh, over Twitter, that there were other projects he was committed to. So now the question becomes, who is going to direct this movie? And also, is this a toxic project now mm-hmm. that so many different things are happening? I mean, does anybody want to touch it? First, I mean, first question was, who's going to direct this? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Second, I don't think it matters. Marvel has... Fun gold out of straw. It doesn't really matter. Whatever they've whatever they've kicked out since Iron Man, I guess maybe the Incredible Hulk was was not so great box office wise, but everything else has just been has just printed money for Marvel. And I don't think it matters at this point. I think maybe post Guardians of the Galaxy we'll have to see. But I at, at this point I don't think it I don't I think they'll find someone to direct it. I don't think it matters who. Yeah. Well, I, I'm I'm gonna just repeat what I said last week, and I don't think the mainstream movie audience goes into a Marvel movie either upset or fascinated about the director that's directing it. If that was the case, I don't know. Marvel would have a problem. They would have to get like... They'd have to get Steven Spielberg for every movie, right. or James Cameron. Yeah. See, I, I, I kind of differ on this. Um, you know, I think the, the general reaction on the internet was, you know, people were interested in this movie because it was Edgar Wright directing a Marvel movie and not necessarily they were interested in Ant-Man as a project. And that is certainly my feeling of it because I'm... I'm a huge Edgar Wright fan. And that's the thing. I think Edgar and, Wright fans were interested in the fact that Edgar Wright was given this project. Well, yeah. And, and see, the thing now is that if, if Marvel wanted to do something truly interesting with this movie, they threw that out the window by, by you know, not letting Edgar Wright do what he wanted to do. So at this point, it's going to be another factory-made, you know, hire a random director type thing. Because really, if you think about it and go back through the Marvel history... Even even the idea of getting someone like Shane Black to do the Iron Man movie, which was thought of as a really interesting idea, it was it was a Marvel movie. I mean, it was there was nothing special about. But, but isn't that. that the point, though? I mean, don't they want these to be a cohesive unit at the end of the day? Sure, but then why even take why take Edgar Wright eight years and and roll him along? And you know, the, the quote from Marvel came from you know the director of Marvel. What's his Kevin? Kevin. Feig? I believe it's pronounced Feig. I don't, I'm uh, not sure exactly. The, the quote from him was, the only reason we are making this movie is because of Edgar Wright's vision. And so why why would you say that and take it so far down the line to where they're like weeks away from shooting and they don't have a director? Again, I don't think it matters to them. I think it's... Edgar Wright was, for lack of a better word, baggage from a previous time. You know, this has been kicking around for eight years. He was the one they wanted to work with until they didn't. And it's not really a shock to me. It doesn't really offend me. I mean, look, people on the internet are mad. But as much as we want to believe the internet has taken over our lives, everybody uses it. But the commentariat on the internet is a different breed than the people that go to see a a Marvel film that make these things blockbusters. Yeah, it's a small portion of people that they don't want to make angry. At the end of the day, they don't need these people to be happy. They've got... 
the rest of the world. Twitter, yeah. Twitter is a bunch of people arguing with themselves. Twitter is, we like to think that when we're on Twitter, we're talking to the world. But when we're on Twitter, we're talking to, you know, whatever 5 million users happen to be active at that time. And it's, it's I guess, an echo chamber for, you know, sharing your, your nerd opinion on Marvel movies. And everybody wants to think that, oh, Edgar Wright got forced out because his vision clashed with the Marvel factory process. And maybe... But I don't think it matters. I think these movies have been successful for a reason. For a reason that they're keeping things cohesive. I mean, look at the look at the Transformers movies. They they get one thing right. They get Optimus Prime right. Yeah. <laughs> the rest of them are, are te- the rest of it is terrible. But but I think my issue is that I don't, with the exception of the Avengers, and, and maybe the Captain America movies. I don't. I mean, I I didn't like the Thor movies. I thought that the last two Iron Mans were really bad. Really? Even Iron Man 3? I hated Iron Man 3, yeah. I wow. did not like it at all. And so I just wonder, at what I mean, at what point is, I, I guess Guardians of the Galaxy is going to be Marvel's risk. And I, I wonder if maybe they, they're balking, maybe, I think you brought it up last week, that maybe they're getting some not-so-good tracking on Guardians of the Galaxy and are, are kind of balking they, at uh, Ant-Man. My point with the Transformers movies was, the Transformers movies piss off the fans of Transformers, the people yeah. that have been with this franchise for 30 years the public doesn't care that that the marvel movies succeed and keep the fanboys happy it's something that is a bonus i mean we're just so inundated with superhero movies i'm gonna sound like an old man right now but i mean i just i'm not excited about any of them i don't care either way i mean if it's a good superhero movie i'll i'll admit it if it's a great one i'll admit it if it's a bad one i'll admit it but I'm, i'm not gonna sit here and i don't know it's just not something that's it's really interesting to me. Do you think this is a good thing or bad thing, this controversy for the film itself? For the film, it's, I mean, I think people are going to forget about it until it's time to... And is this know. really controversy? No, not really, I don't think. I think it's just, it's light. I mean, I would say light controversy. It's it's a mess is what it is. I mean, above anything else, it's a mess. I mean, it's... Is it really, though? It is, of course it is, because it's getting a bunch of negative press right now. And, I mean, you know, everything that's being written about it right now is negative, and it's uh, it's you know the question becomes is this project poison at this point? This movie's not going to come out for what another a couple another couple years? No, next year. Next year, okay. Yeah, but that's a long time to forget. There's a lot of stuff yeah. happening between now and then. It right. is, but but how do you think that this whole thing is going to cause problems for them because they are set to start soon and they don't have. Re- but remember, a remember what a what a uh, pre-release mess something like Titanic was, or something like Avatar, or even the ones we didn't hear about something. Uh, like along the lines of the born identity, that was a huge mess. Yeah, and then that came together great. Mm-hmm. You know, next up, Inside Out, the newest film from Pixar, from director Pete Docter. Plot details have leaked. Leaked is the, is the right word. Or uh, they've, they've been released. They've been released. They've been released. Cody, what's the, what are the details here? So uh, basically, this is going to be Pixar's next uh, next movie. Won't come out till next year. And the the plot details are, you know, simply, uh, it's about uh, an 11-year-old girl, and she's being uprooted from the Midwest to San Francisco. And she's guided by her emotions, so the movie is going to be about <laughs> emotions. Okay. And uh, the, the emotions in the cast are uh, Fear, which will be voiced by Bill Hader. Anger from Louis Black, which is an amazing piece of voice casting. I love Louis Black. Joy, Amy Poehler. Mm-hmm. Disgust, Mindy Kaling. And Sadness, Phyllis Smith, who is from the office uh yeah. but uh, that's a that's a phyllis 
Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so basically, all these emotions live in headquarters, which is a control center inside her mind, and they help advise her. And so uh, it's it's about you know going through that. So it's kind of like, in a way, I guess, where the wild things are, where each wild thing was kind of like a representation of Max's emotions, different emotions. But uh, it sounds like a really intricate and interesting plot. This is the first time I've heard heard, heard the plot being said out loud, and um, yeah, that that does sound very interesting compared to what they've been putting out in the past do, few years. Do you think this busts Pixar out of its creative rut? We could call it. Well, just from the synopsis, yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, what what Cody just read is way better than hearing that they're going to make. Tractors 3 or whatever the <laughs> hell they're on now. I remember with Brave, their last non-sequel, weren't plot details kept under wraps for a, well, an awful that, long time? That was another movie that had some uh, controversy behind it. Controversy, again, in quotes. Because that was where uh, I think the uh, the director had uh, was either removed or not involved in the final process of the movie. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, if you look at the last three Pixar movies, you've got Cars 2, Brave, and Monsters University. And... Uh, if you throw out the first Cars movie, every Pixar movie has had over 90% on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, and then if you look at those last three, we're looking at 39% for Cars 2, <laughs> 78% for Brave, and 78% for Monsters University. And I think that grade for Brave is a little high. I was not a fan of Brave I wasn't. At all. I wasn't a big fan of Brave either. It uh, it had a bait-and-switch plot. Oh, I think, that, that bait-and-switch t- plot was terrible. Yeah. That, I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm sh- sure our fans aren't going to care that... That we mentioned the bears and the little boys, but that bear boy story was all. You don't like up. the bear boys. The bear boys are terrible. That was again. That was a plot that was kept. I didn't hear anything about it before I saw the movie, and I had no idea what to expect. Well, I think they released kind of like a teaser, a well before the movie. There was a teaser of her riding through the right. I mean, just lush Irish landscapes, and it was beautiful. Yeah, I mean, the, the movie was was gorgeous. I just think that the plot was left a lot to be desired, and I think that's been the problem with Pixar in the last what is it five six years at least since well, yeah. since Toy Story three. Well, like Marvel, they're a brand, of course, and I think they've gotten to the point where they realize that whatever they throw out is going to make over a hundred million dollars every single time, no matter what. Yeah. But when you go out and you make a Cars two or what was Planes a Pixar? Planes is Planes tech- was not. It was oh, okay. It was an offshoot of that. Yeah. When you go to you know, there's there's not really any thought behind a Cars two and giving cars that do you think uh disney has surpassed them at this point creativity wise because for years for years when this pixar disney marriage it was pixar was on top yeah box office and with originality and creativity i think with these last two films from disney whatever you think of frozen it's a huge hit i thought it was was pretty fresh and wreck it ralph is one of my favorite movies i think wreck it ralph got robbed by brave oh definitely yeah but i i I feel like disney has regained in this, I guess, inter-family competition between Disney and Pixar, I think Disney animation has the upper hand right now. I think that's accurate. And I also, you know, the, the, the disappointing thing to me about Pixar is that they're finding themselves trapped uh, in this fad of sequels. And they're getting caught up in it because now... I don't, I don't mind if a sequel is going to be on par with Toy Story 3. Yeah, exactly. But Monsters University, for me, did not... 
live up to the first one. And obviously, if you look forward, you've got uh, you've got Finding Dory coming out. You've got The Incredibles <laughs> two. You've got Cars three. And so Incredibles two. I wish that would have happened like eight years ago. <laughs> right. And and so according to Pixar, they're planning on releasing one original film a year and sequels every other year, which is is an okay release thing because they're still cranking out originals every year, but. I don't want to see them get caught up in... I, I, I'm annoyed by the wave of sequels that is happening right now. And I, I like I like original work and I like original stories. So so this new one that's coming up, it's the next one, right? It's yeah, it'll be the next one. Mm-hmm. When is it coming out? Uh, June 19th, 2015. I, I mean, I'm, I'll am i look forward to it and I'll see it, but I, I'm, I don't hold high expectations like I did anymore. Yeah, the only thing that's that's got me excited is that uh, Michael Arndt wrote the script. And so, uh, Little Miss Sunshine, right? Little Miss Sunshine, Toy, Toy Story, Story 3. The first draft of Star Wars Episode 7. Yeah. So, uh, he's, a, he's a great writer. He was the, he's the only writer to ever be nominated for uh, a writing Oscar for his first two scripts ever. Uh, so, he's a talented guy. And, you know, he obviously has some success with Pixar and animated films. So, uh, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. All right. That's it for movie news. Let's move on to reviews. Here are this week's reviews. First up this week, we have Maleficent. I know you're there. Don't be afraid. <laughs> I am not afraid. Then come out. Then you'll be afraid. No, I won't. I know who you are. Do you? You're my fairy godmother. All right, Cody, what'd you think of Maleficent? I found it borderline unbearable. Really? Yeah, I I was not a fan of this movie. Uh, You know, it kind of unraveled into a mess, really. I I thought that the the narrative was just so sandwiched together and... uh, you know, you know, you and I were cracking jokes to each other the whole movie, but it's you know, I thought Angelina Jolie was a little over the top in in the role. I, I didn't mind that. I think that that it, the the role called for it. I mean, she's playing a an evil fairy with horns on her head. I don't think that over the top is really out of the question in a role like that. Yeah, that's yeah, I could see that, but. Yeah, I just I just felt like narratively this this thing was a mess and it felt thrown together really quick. Uh some of the some of the visuals were okay. Um I hated them. You did? Yeah. I did too. I thought the some of the CGI was really bad. Um, yeah. Like the like the little fairies were terrible. <laughs> you know, special effects look like they miss like they're missing a layer of polish. Like they just stopped before they got to to rendering right. the final version, and you can tell that in the in the fairies' faces. I mean, yeah, yeah. Some of it's just really bad. Um, I think that as a purist, if you're a purist when it comes to Disney stuff, um, you're not going to like a movie like Maleficent. Um, this is more for somebody that's a fan of something like Wicked, where you know you're doing this kind of prequel to the classic story of a you know whether it's. Wizard of Oz or Sleeping Beauty, and then getting to a point and then changing it, the whole story. Well, I mean, it, and I'm I'm not a fan of that. 
and especially now that it, it they, they just didn't do a good job of it but i don't like when they take a story i mean i love the i love the idea of uh, doing prequels of disney villains i, I really like that idea yeah. i mean I'd love to see like something like you know Ursula. I think you know. that there's a project like that in the works for TV. Oh, really? I, oh, that that'd be I, cool. Maybe I'm making that up, but I remember hearing something kicking around about that, like what how, how these villains became villains. Right. But, I mean, so that that idea, I really I really dig, and I thought Angelina Jolie. I mean, she did a a good job. I know, Jared, you mentioned in your written review that you thought that it was perfect. She was perfectly cast because of her just her look and her you know, facial feature and just uh, her stature as an actress. I, I remember hearing about this project for years. And you uh, always put Angelina Jolie into the role, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it was just something just, that kind of worked. But Kigo, yeah, I don't know. I don't Kigo, know. you brought up an interesting point by saying, uh, this is, if you're a Disney purist, this movie isn't for you. Who is this movie for? Now entering the spoiler zone. To avoid spoilers, fast forward to... 30 minutes and 32 seconds. We're going to talk about plot spoilers here, so go ahead and skip ahead to the to the timestamp we had in before. This movie totally rewrites who Maleficent is. If you saw Sleeping Beauty, and I assume everybody did, and it's a huge part of the Disney lore. I mean, the castle at Walt Disney World is Sleeping Beauty's castle. This basically says that movie is a lie. <laughs> and it, it outright says that at the end because it's, it's narrated by... I guess an elderly Aurora who says, well, you didn't know the real story. And the real story apparently is that everything in Sleeping Beauty was incorrect, including, including the kiss from the prince that wakes her from true love's kiss, true love's love's kiss kiss. that wakes her from the sleep, the eternal sleep that Maleficent cursed her to. Can we, can we, can we just talk about that for a second? Because if you, if you look at this, everything is building towards the prick on her finger, moving into eternal sleep, which I think she's out for like twenty minutes in the movie, so she's basically like napping, and then <laughs> it's an ag- it's an aggressive power nap. <laughs> it's an, it's a very aggressive, very deep power nap, and then she's up. It's it happens like it, it literally happens. I guess on screen, maybe in like ten or fifteen minutes yeah. of time. And if you even if you expand it, I mean, it's not like she was out for any longer because they pick up the guy uh, in the and and bring him the, in the, the would be prince charming, right? Know. So why why build to, that's what i meant when i said the narrative is sandwiched together because it's all building to a moment that lasts like 20 like it's it's nothing well i think this movie's in an effort to humanize maleficent to make her a sympathetic character goes in some kind of icky places yeah it starts with uh with her as a child where she meets the man who would be king aurora's father and he ends up betraying her as an adult in a scene that really kind of uncomfortably echoes sexual assault. It, it is really kind of icky. I mean, this is supposed to be yeah. a kid's movie, I assume. And, you know, Angelina Jolie plays it well. I think she did a great job in this movie. I don't think it was... the. I, I think everything other than her was not good, but I liked Angelina Jolie in this movie. And I think she plays that scene well, even though it doesn't, it doesn't feel right for this movie. Because she wakes up after having her wings cut off. In this in this chilling sob, and yeah. it's really really uncomfortable. Yeah, and I don't really know where that that has a place in a movie like this. Yeah, I, I was surprised that it was rated PG. I mean, there's some pretty you know dark and dark s- themes, yeah. stuff that happens that I couldn't see a eight or nine year old little girl. You know, this this kind of comes back to again not to bring it back to my point, but at one point during the movie, you you turned to me, Jared, and you said, "Oh, I guess she's evil now." 
And so, again, we're talking about these weird transitions that just, okay, now she's evil. Now she's good again. Now she cares. It's like there was no growth. There was no room to breathe. Right. She has her wings cut off, and all of a sudden she has amazingly powerful magic. She's able to ensnare a crow. She can do everything but fly or grow her wings back, (laughs) oddly enough. She can... can Take a crow, turn him into a man, turn him into a wolf, turn him into a dragon. She can just, she's walking through a field and she just destroys a wall. But when it comes to, comes to using her powers at the climax of the film, it doesn't really make any sense. Like she doesn't do things she could have done. She did, was able to do in the earlier film. It's just, it is a mess. It's, you know, it's like, hey, we've got this story and we need it to end as Sleeping Beauty did. And whatever they threw in there along the way doesn't really add up to, to that climax. And I, I liked the scenes where she's watching over Aurora because if you don't know the story, Aurora is put in the care of these three fairies who in the movie are just bumbling dimwits. They reminded me a lot of the, uh, the hocus pocus witches. I did. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what I thought. <laughs> yeah. The, the blonde one, Juno temple, uh, she reminded she me of Sarah, Sarah Jessica, Jessica Parker. Parker. Yeah, exactly. So she's put in the care of these really dumb fairies and they weren't dumb in the cartoon. No, they were. So, so Maleficent spends her time watching over Aurora as she grows, making sure she doesn't die at the hands of these fairies. And it makes her sympathetic toward Aurora. And eventually she cares for Aurora. And I thought the best scene that culminated in when Aurora was 15, I guess, in the film. And Maleficent goes into her room as she's sleeping and tries to revoke the curse Mm -hmm. that she put on her. The curse of eternal sleep. Yeah. And even she can't do it. And I thought that was a really... That was the best moment of the film. I, I agree with you. I thought that that was the best moment because it got kind of, you know, pulled in a, some kind of emotional attachment to the two, which probably led to why it ended the way it ended. With, yeah. And I, Angelina Jolie saying that that's probably what, what brought her into the film is this ending. She felt that true love. What happens, of course, is the, the, the prince isn't his kiss isn't the one that wakes her up. Uh, he does kiss her and she stays asleep. So Maleficent herself feels really bad and is trying to say her goodbyes and so she kisses her on her forehead and that's what wakes her up. The true love is... And, true love is kind of more of a maternal kiss, uh, more of a... And there's a running blot line in the movie that gets touched on here and there that that Maleficent doesn't believe in true love. I, I have something to add to that. Um, there is there's a theme here of... Uh, and, I, and I did not like the way it came off as Maleficent as like a jealous ex-girlfriend... Like everything, all everything that she did was motivated by spite. Right. And uh-huh. uh, I, I wonder is is that a good message to be sending in your animated movie? <laughs> well, it's not animated, but or, well, I, Disney I, movie. Yeah, I no, say. I agree. I think that, uh, like I was saying, that the analog for sexual assault was really kind of wrongheaded way to kick this you know maleficent plot into motion. It just it felt wrong and it felt icky, and I guess her redemption at the end, you know, she gets, she's able to get her wings back and, and her attacker, uh, Charlto Copley plays, uh, King Stefan dies because she, he falls to his death as he's trying to hurt her. And I, I, it's a kind of a weird revenge fantasy. I just, I don't know. It just felt icky to me. It didn't feel right. It especially bookending what I thought was a really strong middle section of the film where you see Maleficent, really start to care for Aurora. You know, my favorite part of the movie was, was actually, and I can't remember the name of the song, but the song that runs in the credits, the 
<laughs> is the song that is in the original uh, movie, but it just sounded really. Oh, it was creepy, uh, um, Lana Del Rey version of. Uh, yeah. Of a Sleeping Beauty song. I don't right. remember what the song's called. I can't remember what it is either, but. Yeah, uh, that's that was. That let's talk is... about. Let me talk about Aurora. My God, was she dumb in this movie? <laughs> yeah, she's just. She was like. Uh, she was just smiling all the time, like, and just falling into traps, and it was. She nearly falls to her death as a toddler <laughs> walks off a cliff. cliff. I mean, in like a giant cliff. Oh yeah. And then every time she's portrayed by Elle Fanning, who I guess didn't have much to work with. No. Because uh, she's a she's a good actress. Yeah. Just is just a smiling sort of wide eyed wide eyed wonderment at everything. She's just so stupid in this movie. <laughs> and it's you know, oh And there was one moment where again, because of how messy the movie is, we couldn't tell what you remember they had the, the built up uh, wall and we could not tell what side of the wall people yeah. were on. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Maleficent builds a giant thorn wall yeah. to to protect her realm from man who's trying to invade and take it over and come kill her but then they both end up on the same side of the wall yeah. like maleficent is on the same side of the wall as the soldiers trying to get in it's just just plot wise it's a mess there's also a, a part in the film where she leaves the um care of her three fairies and we don't see the fairies for a good she's gone for like a good what must be a day or two well i don't know longer than that because she's hanging out with maleficent in her realm or whatever and we never get back to the fairy. Why, why don't the fairies know where she is? I know the fairies are really bad at their job of protecting her, but they never get back to them and like ask where the hell. Yeah, she's she's her. gone. She's gone to hang out with the one person they're protecting her from, right? <laughs> right for years, for years, yeah, for you know, fifteen years they've been protecting her from Maleficent, and she spends a good, you know, at least a day or two. And and at that point. Maleficent has 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 really come to love Aurora, come to care for her, and come to realize that she's taking it out on the wrong right. person. And it seems like Maleficent should have spent the last fifteen years because a lot of the time you just see Maleficent; she's just hanging out, she's just sitting on her throne, <laughs> she's, or just wa- watching. she's watching Aurora I mean, from ha- the bushes. But and- I mean, what's happened in these fifteen years? Why has the the battle been going on for fifteen years? Has the you know, have the people, how can they not find Maleficent for 15 years? And she's in the same spot the whole time. <laughs> Ultimately a really kind of disappointing movie. I, I really liked Angelina Jolie in the movie. I thought her performance was pretty great. She looked the part. Definitely. It just, the whole thing around it was just, just a big mess to me. Yeah. And I think that uh, if, again, I, I really like this whole um, origin story for the Disney uh, villains. But if you're a, purist of these movies you're really not going to like that the queen of evil maleficent uh, changes her tune here totally well yeah sleeping beauty was a giant lie a big smear campaign against maleficent (laughs) apparently now leaving the spoiler zone let's move on our next film is a million ways to die in the west we live in a terrible place in time the american west is a disgusting awful dirty dangerous place look around you everything out here that's not you wants to kill you Outlaws, angry drunk people, scorned hookers, hungry animals, diseases, major and minor injuries, Indians, the weather. You you can get killed just going to the bathroom. See those guys over there? The guys who work in the silver mines? See what they're eating? Ribs doused in hot sauce. They eat hot, spicy foods every meal of the day. You know why? Because their palates are so completely dulled from inhaling poison gas 12 hours a day down in the mines. That's all they can taste. You know what that kind of diet does to your guts? They literally die from their own farts. 
Okay, I didn't see a million ways to die in the West, but the two of you did. So, Kiko? You know what? I'm a big uh, fan, and I'll back up Seth MacFarlane till the day he, I don't know, hosts Oscars again. But, um, yeah, I, I mean, this you're going in a Seth MacFarlane movie, you, you're not, you know what you're going to get, kind of. Um, I mean... Well, we Tre- Ted, Ted. From, we all liked Ted. We all liked right? Ted. Yeah. Fine, good enough. I mean, there's really funny parts. Family, Family Guy, I think, is one of the better written shows on TV. Whether or not you, whether or not you agree, I think that there's there's a lot of smartness in Family Guy. Definitely, and I think that um, you know, if you're a fan of Family Guy and you watch it, there's going to be really high points and there's going to be really low points, but you, you know, fight through it. It's kind of like it's a volume based. Uh, you know, comedy, like the jokes come and they just come and come and come and it's yeah. kind of a... Right. And I think that's what happened with Ted. I mean, there was some jokes that really hit hard. There was some jokes that really miss hard. Um, with A Million Ways to Die in the West, I don't know what he was trying to do here, but um, it seems like he just had this idea to make a Western and went out and uh, tried to hit every cliche on purpose to do so and then throw in poop. P and fart jokes. <laughs> there were other. There was a lot of jokes at the expense of other bodily fluids as well. And and that's just such an old. I mean, that's just a tired comedy right there. I mean, if yeah. you're gonna balance, if you're gonna base your entire two-hour movie on again P and fart jokes, like I brought up last week, if you're a comedy, you better be really funny if you're clocking in at over an hour. And exactly. Minutes. And this just doesn't do it. I mean, Seth MacFarlane just. It almost feels like. I know you were talking about like earlier. We we're talking about Family Guy, and I mean, there's some bad Family Guy episodes. Oh yeah, and yeah. There's some really good ones. Uh, this is just feels like he tried to. I mean, it feels like a bad Family Guy episode that's t- two hours long. That's what it is. <laughs> and you know, Ted was a massive hit. Yeah. I mean, it was financially it made a ton of money, and it's so weird to me that Seth MacFarlane, after gaining, I mean, the, the budget on this movie was pretty big. And it's weird that he chose this as his first post Ted movie. It's it's uh, it's it's not it's not very funny. It's um, you know, like Kiko said, there's a lot of like um, bodily fluid uh, uh, humor to it. It's a lot of potty humor, um, and it misses most of the time. Um, misses the potty. Yeah, it misses the potty. <laughs> uh, and you know, I, I thought that Seth MacFarlane himself, because this is. You know, we're not used to seeing him on screen. I thought he was fine. Um, oh, I totally disagree. I don't think he could carry a movie at all. I mean, he just seemed weak. I mean, I guess that's his part of his character, but I don't know. He just didn't fill the screen well, like somebody. This was his, this is essentially a reward for the <clears throat> excuse me for the su- success of Ted. Right? Yeah. He got to write his own ticket after Ted. Sure. And uh, well, and he used Family Guy writers again on on this movie yeah. too. I, I don't want to. S- Seemed like we're coming off as snobs here. I mean, I can, um, you know, if a, if a fart joke is funny, I'll laugh at it. But oh my God, there's this something. Some, I don't want to get into any spoilers, even though I don't know. Is would a fart joke be a spoiler? But <laughs> but there's some disgusting humor in here that just. I mean, I was at a theater with a regular mainstream audience because we skipped this uh, screening last week uh, for more important things. But um, we can say the NBA playoffs. Yes, for the NBA playoffs. Um, so sitting there and, f- and with a mainstream audience, some of these jokes just fell flat with yeah. everybody. I mean, there were even some scenes where they were uncomfortable. There was a, some uncomfortable silence. And the character design was not very good. Uh, you know, 
and, and, and I mean, it's mostly Charlize and, and Seth who are in the bulk of this movie. And then you have the couple of Sarah Silverman and Giovanni Ribisi who, who like are gone for like over an hour in the middle of the movie and, and they're, well, everybody's kind of gone. Like, I mean, it's just yeah. Charlize and, and, and Seth hanging out. Charlize really. is good in it though. You know what? I, there was something about her character that I didn't like, and I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what it was. It, and it's the same thing. It's the same reason that I have a problem with ghost town. Um, with um, Taylioni. Taylioni. Taylioni does the same thing in that movie that Charlize Theron does in this one. It's her laugh, laughing at everything that the main character oh. is. Her, all her laughing at his jokes seems so fake to me. Yeah. And it just bothered me through the whole thing because everything that Seth MacFarlane said is hilarious. And it just feels like... It's what happens, man, when you make a ton of money on a movie like Ted <laughs> and you get to write and direct your own film. You can make Charlize Theron laugh at whatever you want to make her laugh at. Yeah. <laughs> and another thing, I mean, this you watch the trailers of this, you think that uh, Liam Neeson is going to have this pretty cool role as this villain and he's gone for yeah. you know he starts at the beginning and then comes out at the end so it's like and i th- i think we should probably stress that this is not really a western there's no there's not a lot of action stuff in it right. it's 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 like a it's like a straight up comedy it's like a romantic comedy that's yeah. just set in the west i mean you could take this totally out of the you know ghost not a ghost town and, but uh, you know old old west you know desert tumbleweed town and, and they run the joke of, you know, obviously the million ways to die in the West. They run it into the ground. <laughs> and I didn't even get that either. I mean, I don't understand the ti- the title of the movie. I mean, they could have just called it. Well, it's, it's just it's just to serve a running joke. Yeah, I know. But I mean, they show a couple of the ways to die. But I mean, there was there wasn't anything. I don't think they have it. time for a million. Well, yeah, yeah. They, I mean, maybe they showed a, do- a dozen. But, you know, I mean, they could have <laughs> called it, you know. A dozen ways to die in the West. Well, would that have made it a better movie if they called it? Probably a not. Time, but. but I mean, they could have called it anything else. They could have called it, you know, Dumb Cowboy or something like that. That just Dumb. I would go see a movie called Dumb Cowboy. <laughs> I'm glad you don't work for any like marketing. Nope. Call it Dumb <laughs> Cowboy. <laughs> it just gets right to the point. I exactly. like it. All right. So neither of you recommend it. No. Not at all. I mean, if if you're going in thinking that you're going to see something at least half as funny as Ted. You're you're gonna be in for a rude awakening, cause and again, Seth MacFarlane, man, I you know what I was w- waiting for that, that scene where um they were in the bar and there's a little uh, it, they sing the mustache song. Mm-hmm. Were they in a bar, right? They were in like a barn, I think, bar or something. There, there's bar, a, there's barn. one song. I was I was waiting for more music to come out. That guy can write a song. Yeah, you know he can write. I mean, I'm waiting for his musical to come out on you know his Broadway stuff or whatever. I mean, I wish that that would happen you know very soon because he, that guy is like uh trey trey parker and matt stone i mean he can he can write a song and even though this that uh, man can turn a tune huh? turn a tune even though the mustache song was okay there was some fun little parts in there in that one but just didn't happen all right let's move on to our last film fed up the subtle message is it's it's your fault you're fat all you need to do is eat less Exercise more. It's all about personal responsibility, about willpower. That's the message that's been pushed on us. I want to see you all moving, all right? Forget about it. All right, this is a documentary we all saw. Kiko, what'd you think? Well, uh, let me start off by saying as we're talking about Fed Up and giving our review, we have uh, big chocolate-covered donuts in front of us. Kiko gave us all cinnamon bagels. <laughs> I'm just eating cheese. sugar by the spoon right now. <laughs> with cream cheese, yes. Um, but at least they were like it had raisins in them, didn't, didn't they? Yes, they okay. did. Well, then, did that's they? healthy. Yeah, I ate raisin. The, I ate you ate a raisin. <laughs> I hate raisins, and I ate that. <laughs> it's you oh, covered, my God. It's because you covered it in so much cream cheese, <laughs> you couldn't even tell. I feel betrayed now that I ate a raisin. Uh, look, uh, Fed Up is a pretty 
okay documentary when it comes to you know telling the food story and why people are getting so fat nowadays and uh, you know trying to urge families and parents to buy smarter for their kids who are you know 100 pounds overweight um but i mean look on netflix right now you're gonna find at least a dozen other food documentaries that have come out and kind of telling the same story i mean sugar's killing our kids um which is the thesis of the movie basically basically um it's not it's not uh calories in calories out it is the amount of sugar or uh the way your body processes things into sugar uh, right Right. So getting that message across, I think, you know, does uh, a good service, just like other movies of this kind do. What I liked about this movie the most is that it kind of pushes the envelope a little bit when it comes to going after people, um, specifically Michelle Obama. Yeah. (laughs) Which is kind of like a not a smart thing to do if you're I don't know. It's kind of weird because Katie Couric is narrating it and she produced it and she was ballsy enough to uh, put this part in the movie. Um, but yeah, um, if you don't know Michelle Obama, her platform as first lady is, uh, a let's move campaign. Um, and so going into this and learning a little bit more about the let's move campaign and how it's changed over the years kind of, uh, opens your eyes a bit to some of the political things that are happening with, uh, the, f- the weight loss, uh, battle in America. I have a, a little bit of a problem with the film for, well, first of all, I thought it was a good 45 minutes stretched too long into mm-hmm. an hour yeah. 30. The film seems to, to me, to discount personal responsibility a little too much. Uh, not that I want to get into the, the realm of nanny state government and things, but I think that it, that it puts too much of the blame on the food industry, not that they're innocent in it. Because, I mean, I, you, we've all battled, maybe not Cody, but, I mean, I've, you know, I've had battles with weight my life my whole life and i know that for me it's personal control you know willpower that that is present when i'm losing weight i don't think it's coca-cola's fault i know drinking coca-cola is is not ideal for for my body but it seems to put to me to put too much responsibility on the food industry not that the food industry doesn't do some i mean business is business in the united states and companies are in business to make money I don't really feel sympathy for people that get suckered by advertising. Maybe it's because I've been too close to it and I actually have written commercials <laughs> and, and produced commercials. But it, I don't have any – if you think like, oh, hey, Coke Zero is going to be – you know, help me lose weight. I don't feel sympathy for you. Yeah. I actually have two things to say to your point. First off, I think that the most interesting part of the movie was getting into the school lunches – because I think yeah. that is where yeah. that is where you do start to feel sympathy for people because kids are not given uh, proper <laughs> that's choices. A, that's a good point. School lunches apparently now I had no idea are ridiculous. <laughs> They're ridiculous. Like, it's it, like an airport concession stand. It, yeah, it absolutely is, and they bring in uh, fast food and you can buy it from a snack bar. Um, and then <laughs> uh, also, you know, they have that whole thing where they, according to I guess government regulations. Pizza is considered a vegetable, and French fries are considered vegetables. Yeah, yeah. And so they double. They say, "Oh, now you have to get double the vegetables." But pizza counts as a vegetable because of the because of tomato, tomato paste. Sauce, yeah. So, tomato paste, yeah. um, I, I thought that was the most interesting part of the film because that is where the kids are not in control of that. And of course, like they say, if you put a healthy thing uh, and and give the choice between uh, give a kid a, the choice between healthy and 
pizza, they're going to choose pizza all of the time. Right. Oh, put a Snickers in front of me with an apple. I'm going to pick the apple. Y- Sorry, yeah. guys. Yeah. <laughs> now, I think that also gets into a problem of the movie is that what is this movie about? Is it about sugar consumption or is it about how uh, the school lunches are are not, you know, because it, it kind of goes back and forth between what kind of point it's trying to make. And I think ultimately what it is is it's a scare tactic movie yeah. like all of these scare tactic movies with mm-hmm. even if it's like super size me where you're trying to warn people but not providing them with knowledge of alternatives well even super size me was was that was a stunt more yeah, than sure. a, more than a, a warning sign I mean, but, but I, I i guarantee that that movie stopped people from going to mcdonald's oh, yeah. for but i guess a while. Yeah. i guess food ink would be maybe a better see uh, i liked food ink and i can't really remember why <laughs> i remember that it made a bigger uh, impact on me than this one did but i mean it's it's all gonna come you know what i, I just don't like that it, all of these movies are one-sided i mean you're not going to get the other side i think maybe they talked to one person that was uh, well totally you, you know and they hang the people out to dry that yeah. they're the sugar industry and i, I think it was i think food a, inc is the one that actually talked to some people that were like from it's walmart a, or, it's an unfair comparison to me to to compare food to cigarettes and that's a lot of this movie spent a lot of the time was spent in this movie comparing the dangers of cigarettes and how cigarettes used to be advertised to food products because there's not a responsible way to enjoy cigarettes. Yeah. Uh, there, I mean, there's a responsible way to to enjoy food. And obviously not to drink soda every day, not to eat uh, you know processed foods instead of vegetables, instead of fresh food. But it's a really, really unfair comparison to make between between cigarettes and coke you know it uh, now i think it it did make good points about how you know on the nutritional facts the sugar content is listed but the daily allowment is not always left blank yeah yeah so i mean it, it, it it it's it's more of an information thing but it's like it's it's again it's making us think oh my god what are we going to eat because everything yeah, is contained yeah, with yeah. Uh, know, everything there, bad everything has sugar it, everything has sugar and I, I was telling cody yeah. the other day the uh the director of this movie and her name is slipping my mind right now samantha s maybe um <laughs> well i mean she she's the director and she does a good job in you know collecting all this data and putting it together in a nice little package well, it's, it's really really slick but um she of course is uh you know really pushing against uh, anti-soda in this film um, and pushing, you know, for people to drink, of course, more water. And what's funny is that her last film, uh, which was called Tapped, um, rails against the uh, bottled water industry. So basically what she's saying is we're all going to die of thirst because there's nothing left to drink on this world except for your own delicious <laughs> delicious dasani yeah. so now I, I would like to you know we should book an interview and find out what exactly it is she eats and drinks uh if uh if everything we eat is going to kill us and bottled water is going to kill us right i, I don't want it, to it's it feels wrong for me to get into like well hey what do you do you know it it's one of those documentaries it's meant to inflame it's meant to say and you know they they trot out fat kids for lack of a better word the you know it's it's the, you you have sympathy for the the twelve year old girl who's you know a hundred pounds at least overweight and she really seems like she's trying yeah. I mean for I mean it could have been edited and she's sneaking you know ho hos every night but um, I mean it's she seems like she's trying but as like Cody was saying as soon as she goes to school she's eating hamburgers and yeah, French fries exactly and, and it takes and, and it it really kind of discounts exercise 
in this movie, weirdly, right at the beginning. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, yeah. it, it, and, and I don't know that that's... Well, because it's because it, they 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 are very quick to dismiss the calories in and calories out yeah. theory. So they're saying that you would have to, you know, in order to burn the calories, you would have to exercise a tremendous amount to to do it. And so, uh, so yeah, you're right. But plenty of people have disproven that with anecdotal evidence that watching your diet and exercising those are the two components of weight loss. I mean, it's harder for some people. Uh, some people don't have the willpower or the time or the hell the desire to do it but it's it's a weight loss and weight is a is a really kind of there's not a catch-all solution for everything obviously you know drinking a liter of soda a day isn't going to help anybody but i don't know that that's dooming you to to being fat as much as this movie wants you to believe and like i said comparing it you know they want to put warning labels you know, the people interviewing this movie want to put warning labels on food and soda that this can make you fat. Well, yeah. Yeah. No kidding. Exactly. You know, it's not, it, it's not, we're not, it's not the 50s. It's not the 60s where, like, oh, a cigarette. You know, I mean, advertising is different now. Yeah, this is, this is nothing shocking that, that, you know, fast food and, and, uh, and sodas and pizza and hamburgers are not the greatest for you. That's not jaw dropping news. And, and I, I, and again, sedentary lifestyles have a lot to do with, I think, personally, in my personal experience, have a lot more to do with, with weight gain and, and, and eating poorly than anything else. I mean, it's, it's no, doesn't seem to be a coincidence to me that as life gets easier, people get fatter. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, you know, you don't, you no longer have to hunt for food. You know, it's no longer an issue that, that food will spoil and you know you have to eat it. You know you you don't have enough to. Eat. I mean you look at uh, people in the '40s. You know when when refrigeration was was a new thing and when labor was hard. <laughs> you know there wasn't people sitting at computers in the '40s. It's just it, it. There's anecdotally it seems to be a correlation that that also coincides with the fact that f- food is you know there's a lot of sugar. Yeah. But you know sitting around on your butt isn't going to matter. You know if you're eating vegetables all day and you're still sitting around your butt. It's not healthy for you either. But you also, on the opposite side of that, people have lifestyles where they're always moving. And so in that case, you know, they don't have time to, you know, go to the farmer's market and pick fresh, fresh fruits and vegetables and make home cooked meals. Sometimes people's lifestyles dictate that they have to get fast food or they have to get processed food. So it's like, where, where's the balance? Well, what's, yeah, that's a, again, what's the solution that these movies are offering? Like, Oh, well just head to your local farmer's market and, yeah. you know, boil kale for, I mean, yeah, exactly. And chop vegetables for an hour and, you know, make your own home cooked meals, three meals a day, every day. It's, you know, are you chopping your vegetables with a dull knife an hour. <laughs> to chop carrots? I just make sure I don't cut myself. <laughs> it just, it's, it's a it's a dilemma of the modern world, and I mean I don't want to sound like I'm discounting it because that's obviously a problem. But yeah. it's it, it's something that the movie approaches and it doesn't offer any solutions other than well go to the farmers market jerk yeah. you know and uh, don't that's not a feasible option you know hey what's what can you do and I I think that you know, we see the mother of uh, of the, the one of the boys featured saying crying near the end of the film where she knows she's like i know i shouldn't have the chocolate in the house but sometimes it's hard well okay (laughs) like i mean that there's the problem you know to me if you don't want the chocolate if if you if you have a problem you need to solve it i mean i know i can't keep 
nacho cheese Doritos in the house because I'll eat the whole bag. Uh, so I don't buy nacho cheese Doritos. You know, I, I, it, it sounds I mean, I don't want to sound like I'm against keeping kids from eating crap at school if we can. You know, I, I mean, eating Pizza Hut every day or Arby's, you know, as the movie <laughs> portrays. I don't think that's right either. But personal responsibility is is a is a thing I'd like to see applied to, you know, keeping yourself healthy. You know, I uh, got to love those yeah. beef and cheddars. Yeah. yeah. But I think that being said, it it is uh it's it's good. It's it's a it's yeah, a pretty it decent was... documentary. Yeah, I I thought it, I I wish it had made I wish it would have been a little shorter. Mm-hmm. I think I it, agree. I think it does a lot of uh song and dance to get to an hour and a half. And there's a lot of stuff that's redundant in there. Yeah. Um, that that whole part about the Michelle Obama thing could have been its own movie if she was brave enough to get on camera. She's one of the names listed at the end that refused to be well, I guess refuse might be a hard, harsh word, but did not. Well, uh, does the first lady really have to talk to some filmmaker? I mean, it's not. Well, if it's going to be ac- accessible as this one is, I mean, this is. I and, mean, and really the stance against Michelle Obama was that she wasn't harsh enough. So right. it's, it's not well, like. Well, no. It's, well, that's part of it. I mean, she was harsh enough at the beginning and then, and then she somebody probably yeah. pulled her into her room and said, hey, you know, King Corn is you know not happy. <laughs> <King> Corn. Um, <laughs> so, you know. I, I mean, I. It, it, I don't think it indicts her that she didn't talk to the film. Yeah. Right. And I no, think I that's, don't think and I think so that's either, what but... the film kind of wants you to think mm-hmm. uh, when saying, you know, at the end of credits, they say, well, these people wouldn't come on camera to talk to us. I don't think it, I don't think it indicts the first lady of the United States that she wouldn't talk to some documentary filmmaker personally. I mean, and even, even, you know, Coca-Cola or, or all the other numerous brands listed, I don't think it indicts them that they don't talk to every, you know, ins, you know, every instigating filmmaker out there. I mean, obviously, they're you know they they place a lot of the blame at Coca Cola's feet. Uh, soda is pretty demonized in this film. I don't think that there's anything new to say. Oh yeah, because you can what clean a car battery with Coca Cola. I saw it on YouTube. So you can well yeah, it's the I mean that's just acid though. Oh, it's one of the that's I mean you can clean a, you can also clean it with vinegar. Thanks for listening to Car Talk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> with I love, us clicking cl- oh man I, I listen love to car cool, talk. I love a cold cherry coke oh, okay. I like vanilla coke but I mean let's do not let's make, not get into arguments they don't make that anymore do they, they do really yeah if you you, uh, it's not that easy to find but I yeah you can find but it still Cody tracks down vanilla coke uh yeah you it's buy one, it online <laughs> it's a black market for vanilla coke <laughs> That does it for our reviews this week. Now it's time for No Ticket Required. Find a comfy spot on the couch and welcome to No Ticket Required. All right, this is the segment where we recommend movies streaming, typically Netflix. Netflix, VOD, uh, whatever it may be. Yeah. Uh, Redbox On Demand. Is that what it's called? Uh, I don't know. I had a I had a trial of it and it wasn't very good. Okay. So. Uh... Anyway, first up, Cody, what do you got? Uh, I'm going to uh, recommend a movie called uh, Cinna. This is a documentary about... Um, How do you spell that, first of all? S-E-N-N-A. Okay. And it's a documentary that came out, I guess, a couple years ago about... I think his name... I'm, I don't know if I'm going to pronounce it right, but Ayrton Senna. He was a Formula One uh, racer, and uh, he was he was really, really good. And, uh, you know, I'm not a fan of auto racing cars anything like that but this doc this is a gripping documentary um if you're into sports at all or sports documentaries you kind of watch the rise and the struggle of um 
of Cinna against uh, a, an arch rival of his, and um, and it's and it's 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 interesting in the way it's made because it's made from all uh, old footage. There's no new footage in there. There's no talking head voiceovers or interviews, um, and so it's compiled uh, never before seen footage. Archi- uh, archival documentary, ar- they call that. Exactly, that's what it is, and it's and it's put together as if it was shot for a movie. The narrative is flawless. It's edited perfectly. Um, this made my top ten a couple years ago, and Kiko, you've seen it as well? Uh, I did, and you're, you're exactly right. I mean, this is on, on par with something like Hoop Dreams that came out in the early 90s where, you know, you're just really engaged and intrigued at this uh, athlete story. Um, I don't know. Do you consider car racers athletes? Maybe not. I, don't I, know. I, I think I people guess. do. Yeah. So, I, I mean, it really does follow the story, uh, and something that I didn't know either, and again, like Cody, uh, like Cody said, I'm, I'm not a Formula One car race. I don't sit on Sunday and watch NASCAR for... 12 hours. Formula or, One's way different than NASCAR. Well, yeah, I mean, it is, but cars driving in circles is basically what it is. Well, I yeah. thought Formula One was like a Grand Prix stuff. Yeah, that's that's what it is. Oh, so it doesn't, they don't go around in circles. They go straight. They don't go tracks. They yeah, go, like, okay. like they're... Um, they go through like city streets right. and they right, weld right. the manhole covers shut. But they do have tracks too, so... Um, but I, we don't know what we're talking about if we haven't exactly. made that evident. I, I can, uh, wait a minute, wait a minute. I can barely put gas in my car. But yeah, it's the... it's uh, Formula it's, 409, that's what I cleaned the car with. <laughs> but it's, uh, yeah, this, so this is, uh, um, you know, the story. It's I mean, it basically comes down to the rivalry between Cinna and Elaine Proust, who's the other driver. Um, yeah, and I can't recommend this movie enough. It's uh, it's one of those edge-of-your-seat kind of documentaries. And if, it's, if you don't know the story of Cinna and... Um, in, in everything that happened in his life, uh, it's it's better to go in not knowing anything. Um, don't do any Senna. So don't listen to this part of the podcast <laughs> before. <laughs> no, but uh, but yeah, it's um, you know, there's some really great archival footage in here, and um, and yeah, it's 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 absolutely amazing. So uh, if you're if you're into documentaries, if you're into sports documentaries, um. Or if you're into good rivalry movies, uh, definitely check out Cinna on Netflix. This is not. There's not enough good rivalries in sports anymore. Yeah, I think there's, that's there's really not. I think that's why I like what Lance Stevenson did in the finals. He's <laughs> kind of like when he blew in the LeBron James. Well, he's year. trying to make it a little bit more interesting, just when it comes to like you know, but being yeah. a jerk. When was the last good rivalry to you? I mean, I mean, I guess it'd be like well, in the NBA, it's been like Magic, Magic and Bird. Bird. Really, you think yeah, it's been that, that long back? ago? Or like, I guess. Did Jordan have really a, an Every, arch rival, though? No, not really. Well, I mean, there was big rivalries between him and, like, the Jazz. The Jazz, but that wasn't a singular yeah, player. Yeah, a player versus a player. They, always, they typically say a rivalry doesn't exist until both sides have won, at least. Okay, uh-huh. that can make um, sense. Uh, and really, when you look at the Lakers, I don't think Kobe ever had a direct rival uh, either. There were some pretty epic battles with the Kings uh, back in the early 2000s. Yeah, but you wouldn't say Kobe versus Vladdy Diva. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was it was Chris Webber. Chris Webber, right? Yeah, it was anyway. pretty solid, right? But yeah, you don't you don't really have that anymore. I mean, it's and even and even uh, if you look to football, like the Aggies and Longhorns was a good rivalry until that dissipated completely. Uh, well, yeah, and there's there's the classic the stuff like the Dallas Cowboys and the, the New York Giants, and Dallas the, the Cowboys Redskins. and the Washington Redskins, both. Um, this I has guess, been sports talk, uh, San Antonio. I guess a personal, uh, a personal rivalries don't really exist much anymore. I, it doesn't seem that way. No, not really. That's too bad. Not unless it's like boxing, maybe. But even then, you even haven't then had a good boxing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, uh, Kiko, what's yours? Uh, my pick uh, for the week 
is a movie that I actually am not recommending, but I'm just bringing it up anyway because uh, if you're curious uh, to see this film, you should just because of the way it was made. It's called Escape from Tomorrow. This I I really I'm disappointed that you say it's it's not good because I, I it's something I've really wanted to see after hearing about hearing about it tell yeah. us tell us about it well i mean it's 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 not a really good movie but the 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 story behind it is is f- fantastic and fascinating and it's uh, about the director basically took a camera crew and and a cast uh onto uh, or into walt disney world uh for a few days and shot an entire feature length film on the grounds of walt disney without letting any officials know that he would be doing that so uh, he basically did a guerrilla style Gorilla type film um, edited together and created this hour and a half long movie that kind of uh, features Walt Disney World and the brand as this kind of surreal um, kind of scary place where marketing and, 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 and all things Disney are like at the root of all evil when it comes to <laughs> living in this world of consumerism. So it's, uh, it's, it's a really interesting idea i don't think that the director really uh got got it completely right um well he actually missed pretty badly but. It, the the only to me the only interesting thing about this movie is how it was made exactly and that's why i think i'm bringing it up i mean i i'd hate to i hate to bring up for the first uh, uh segment on this a movie that i'm not actually recommending but i would recommend it just to you know read the story and and, and take a look to see how he did it uh, but do know that it is a gimmick it's a yeah, complete it's gimmick. a complete gimmick it's not a really good movie what? but it's it's very very interesting to see kind of think about how hard this would be to actually go on a go into a theme park and shoot what? a whole movie <laughs> it's you know what it's i was thinking about this when i read about it it is much easier now uh with the advent of of dslr cameras I mean, I, you know, I have a camera that it looks like a, you know, if, you know, it's a, that nobody knows it's a, it's a film, you know, it looks like a mm-hmm. normal digital camera, but it shoots, you know, film quality video. Yeah. And I guess that's, that's really the, 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 cause it's not like he went in there with a film crew and a, and a camera. He was right. a guy right. walking around with a DSLR camera shooting these people. Right. And it was, you know, a small crew, a small um, cast of characters that looked like a family going and, to and, Disney World. And there was... They did have a small crew because they they did say that at some point, uh, I guess the people at Disney thought that they were like paparazzi filming a famous family. Yeah, go to cinesnob.net. I got a chance to interview uh, the director, Randy Moore, and he talks a little bit about, you know, the challenges that it took to make a movie like this and how much, you know, production he had to go through to... It is pretty fascinating to me, though. I mean, I'm I'm a big fan of Disney. I I love Disneyland. Um, I don't see it as anything more than, yeah, this is Disneyland. Right, right. uh, to say it's the root of all evil, I don't know. I mean, whatever. <laughs> the poster is probably one of the greatest posters that came out last it year. Is, it is a really good poster. I and like it's that a, a lot. If you look it up, just um, um, Escape from Tomorrow poster. It's a yellow poster with um, Mickey Mouse's bl- cold, bloody hand rising from <laughs> the bottom of it. But it's it's just a surrealist type movie that just goes nowhere. It's, right. it's, it's, really, it's really not that good. It's not very good. So why did I bring it up? It because your it's net, it was your Netflix pick of the oh, week. It's my, ne- it's my Netflix non-pick of the week. Uh, watch it just out of, for curiosity's sake, but yeah. uh, know that I'm not actually recommending it. All right. Well, mine, uh, another movie that, uh, I don't know, uh, I recommend it, but then I, I, I end up not liking it. It's Star Trek Into <laughs> Darkness. 
Uh, we all saw this, of course, yeah. last year. Uh, this is the second Star Trek film from J.J. Abrams, finally on Netflix Watch Instant. It's a movie that I liked the first time I saw it, but when I thought about it more, I didn't. <laughs> I I have no problem saying that I thought it was just as good as the first upon first viewing. I haven't watched it since we saw it in the theater, but I thought that it was just as good as you the know, first one. I have I've watched parts of it since since I you know I got it on DVD. I mean on Blu-ray. Um, it, it's it bugs me. We talked about this a little bit last week about J.J. Abrams that it's it's a Star Trek it's an action movie in Star Trek clothes, and this movie is an even kind of bigger offender at that point than than the first film uh this if you don't know kind of mirrors the storyline of the original star trek to the wrath of khan right where benedict cumberbatch plays khan and this was one of the things that really bothers me about jj abrams as a filmmaker before the film comes out is just the secrecy yeah it's you know (laughs) I, i think even he said that in retrospect, they maybe should have not held that such a secret because it's supposed to be this big moment in the movie, but if you have no idea of the Star Trek franchise, you're going to be like, what? Well, yeah, the the reveal was that Benedict Cumberbatch was playing Khan, who, of course, was played by Ricardo Montalban mm-hmm. in the original film and in the original Star Trek series in the 60s. Uh, again, problematic. Uh, you've got a Middle Eastern name. First, you had a Spanish guy playing, <laughs> yeah. uh, playing a Middle Eastern guy. Now you have a white Englishman playing someone with a Middle Eastern name. And it kind of just muddied the whole storyline of of Khan and what it meant to the Star Trek fan- franchise at the point where The Wrath of Khan was released. You know, here was a villain from the original show that came back for revenge. The motivation for Khan in Star Trek Into Darkness is a lot murkier and more sympathetic uh, until he decides to murder everybody. What did you think of the um, of the more? And I don't. I, I guess we should tread lightly with spoilers, just in case people haven't seen. Everybody's it. But, seen Star Trek Into Darkness. But uh, but what did you think of the emotional uh, the emotional side of things? You know the big uh, the big scene that is uh, mirrored from. Well, from yeah, Wrath and of, of course in of course in the Wrath of Khan, Spock dies right uh, saving the ship during an attack from Khan in. This film, they flip that, and Kirk dies while Spock watches. Um, I, 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 really, I really like that scene, really? actually. Yeah, I did. Uh, I liked it okay when I saw it. The more I think about it, the more I realize it was a really cheap ploy by Abrams yeah. and, uh, and crew, uh, Roberto Orsi and uh, Alex Kurtzman. Uh, who, I guess, who is, is Orsi directing? Orsi's directing the third, third film. It's, I guess it's a problem I have with Abrams in particular in just kind of taking pop culture and filtering it through. And that's another thing that, that him and McFarlane have in common. Seth McFarlane just takes kind of references with Family Guy and stuff. And I, I know A Million Ways to Die in the West was filled with, had little moments of, of I, I know in the trailer and the commercials they showed Doc from Back to the Future. Oh my future. God, yeah. that would have been such a, I'm glad you brought that up. I know we're not talking about all, A Million Ways to Die. That would have been a, such a great, um, surprise. surprise in the yeah. film if they hadn't shown it in the tra- yeah. in the trailer it's, it it would have been as good as like a Bill Murray Zombieland it, it's, cameo if you don't know it, it, the trailer showed that Doc Brown from Back to the Future 
I guess Back to the Future Three right. is in this timeline with a million ways to die in the West, which is a great it's a great joke and it's a very Family Guy style reference. Exactly, but why why do you ruin it like I don't that? Know. Uh, but J.J. Abrams, I think, is of that same school. He synthesizes what you loved about Star Trek, which, you know, eventually with this reboot, I think it was widely expected that, well, they've got to do Khan now. Right, and he denied it yeah. through and through. And, and that was part of the lead up, like, oh, it's not Khan. He's not playing Khan. He's playing John. He had a name. Uh, I can't remember what it was. It was John, very, John something. John. It was uh, a very generic name. Like, yeah. oh, Benedict Cumberbatch is playing John blank. In Star Trek, and then it just became this whole giant thing where no, no, this isn't about Khan. This isn't about Khan. This isn't about Khan. And then yeah, of course it's Khan, and I don't think they did it right. But I th- but what if you take away that element? What if you take away the element of from a Star Trek, uh, you know, taking a tale from the Star Trek lore? What if people aren't as into Star Trek, and this is their first kind of uh, their first kind of? Uh, but then why call it Khan? That's the thing. <laughs> why you know, call why, it Star Trek? Why? Yeah, I mean, why are you making? Why are you bringing up a, an iconic villain from what most people agree is the best Star Trek film, uh, at least of the previous run? Why bring it up? I mean, if if you're making it for an audience that that doesn't know who he is, uh, you know, make him somebody else. Make him John, whatever John Con, whatever they called, <laughs> whatever they called John him. Con. In and then you, on top of that, you echo the death of of Spock and and move it over to Kirk. And then even even then, you build a a thing into this universe that anybody can come back to life from anything. All they need is the blood of of one of these people, one of these genetically engineered people. Khan has been kicking around with, and you can bring anybody back to life. And that's a problem. I, I have an issue with that in in Marvel movies at this point too. Uh, that's another story. But the idea of you can just like these these deaths in these movies need to mean something. They need to have, or else if you bring everybody back, they're not going to be emotionally involving because you're going to be like, okay, well they're going to be alive in the next scene or whatever it may be. All right, that wraps up our no ticket required segment and the podcast for this week. Thanks everyone for listening, for downloading through iTunes and listening to us on Stitcher. Uh, please, if you get a chance, give us a rating, uh, whether or not you like the show, we would like to know what you think. Uh, if you want to contact us, we have a new voicemail line set up. The number is 920-FILM-210. That's 920-3456-210. And we'd like to, to solicit your suggestions we want to talk about what's your favorite slash least favorite edit of a film you've seen on TV. You know, when they take out the cussing, when they uh, replace it with something else. Yeah, Pretty like have you ever seen uh, Goodfellas and instead of saying mother effer, they say mother lover? Yeah. Things like that. Things like that. So, so give us your suggestions. Uh, again, that number is 920-FILM-210. Or you can email us at... Uh, the email address is podcast at cinesnob.net. And you can uh, and also at that number, you can text as well. You can text 920 Yeah, who calls anymore and leaves a voicemail? Just text us. But if, we, if, we, uh, if you do leave a voicemail, we might play it on the show. So please uh, speak clearly and enunciate. <laughs> yes. All right, uh, next week, what do we got? We've got The Fault in Our Stars and Edge of Tomorrow. I'm really looking forward to Edge of Tomorrow. I am too. I am too. I think... Uh, Tom Cruise is one of those actors that gets a little, um, you know, they give him a rough time because of who he is off the set. Yeah. But I, 
I, I love Tom Cruise. I think he's a great it actor. It looks like a sci-fi Groundhog Day, doesn't it? <laughs> well, wasn't uh, the Jake Gyllenhaal movie a sci-fi Groundhog Day? Oh, um, uh, Source Code. Source Code. Source code. I, yeah. I like really? You didn't like Source Code? I did not. If, oh, I, if, if you think about it for even five seconds, it's a giant mess. And yeah. It doesn't make any sense, but I liked it. I, I liked did, it. too. I think I cried at the end when you realized... That he was he, in yeah. the source code. And even the word source code doesn't make any sense. Like, that's not what source code means. Yeah. Anyway, uh, that does it for this week. Thanks for listening to the CineSnob Podcast. I'm Jerry Kingery. Cody Viafania. This is Kiko Martinez. Thank you for listening to the CineSnob Podcast. To read reviews, interviews, and more, visit CineSnob.net. See you next week.